0: Uh, for some things in our, in our Christian lives. I, I'm thankful the Bible does not just tell us how to be saved. If that's all that God intended, He could have done it in a pamphlet. Because uh, the plan of salvation is fairly simple. But He gives us an entire Bible that teaches us uh, not only our condition before we're saved, but how we're to live after we're saved. He instructs us, uh, guides us. And uh, I'm thankful that he gave us a book of instructions. Uh, the other day I had gotten a, a piece of equipment that I've needed for a long period of time. And uh, it was a, a stand for my, my, uh, uh, my miter saw. And uh, it came in a box that was the size of what this thing would be when it was all folded up the way it was supposed to be. And so I'm thinking when I get the box, this thing's already put together. All i got to do is open the box. And uh, open the legs up and it's good to go. But not so. I opened that box and there were about a zillion parts to it. <laughs> and I am thankful that they included uh, what most men refer to as just the manufacturer's suggestions, otherwise known as instructions. Uh, I tried to get most of it done uh, without looking at it. And I don't know how many times I had to go back. And undo something I had tried to do earlier just to redo it the right way, what we like to call the right way. And I laughed as I thought of that, uh, how many times we are tempted in our lives to just, just do it on our own, wing it, you know, we'll, we can get by. We, we kind of get the gist, we see the direction, we're just going to do it. And I don't know how many times, probably three or four times in that, uh, before I finally resigned myself to just following the instructions. I had gone ahead and done something that seemed apparently obvious and realized I hadn't done it the right way. And I had to go back and undo it. Sad to say, in our Christian lives, we don't always have that luxury. We don't always have the luxury of going back and undoing it and redoing it the right way. So I'm thankful we have a book that tells us how to live. And if, if we will be diligent to study it, to learn from it, and to come to its pages seeking for its help, it will guide and direct our steps before we make the mistake, which is always the better way to be. And so we're going to look at some things here today. Let's go to Romans chapter 12. We're going to, we're going to actually go backwards in the message today. I don't normally do this with Scripture. But we're going to start in verse 21 and then work our way back through the chapter. Uh, Paul writes this. He says, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Father, we pray that You'll bless the message and speak to our hearts, help instruct and guide us, and may we learn to live rightly according to what Your Word teaches. And so help us, we pray, in Jesus' name, Amen. (coughs) Paul sums up the chapter that began with, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. We've heard a lot of messages on those verses uh, holy, acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. And we've heard a lot of messages on verse 2, "...be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable perfect will of God." And any number of messages can be preached on those verses. But oftentimes, we end in our messages there after verses 1, 2, maybe 3, possibly. But there is so much instruction given to the Christian in Romans chapter 12, that are just practical helps, things that God just says, here's some things that I want to address in Scripture to tell men how they're to live once they're saved. Now, this does not get us saved. Uh, I, was, I was doing some work this week on uh, some uh, things that I'm hopefully going to be writing about soon and putting in a little pamphlet uh, dealing with the issue of works and faith. Uh, it seems to be one of the biggest issues that I face when I'm out talking with people today is the issue uh, of uh, works and faith. And um, these things are not things that cause us to become saved. Uh, these are things that ought to be borne out in our lives as fruit because we are saved. And uh, he ends the chapter and kind of summarizes all that he instructs uh, them to do uh, with these last couple of verses. Uh, he says in verse twenty, therefore, if thine enemy hungry, feed, uh, hunger feed him; if he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, uh, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil uh, with good. And so there's a an attitude uh, in dealing with the affairs of this world that Paul thinks uh, we need to have. Uh, the Holy Spirit inspired him to write these things. And it's amazing to me how in the world that we live in today, even Christian people are prone to following what society considers to be acceptable behavior. And uh, the truth is, oftentimes, the acceptable behavior of society is the exact opposite of what God says our behavior ought to be as a Christian, And, and, and rightfully so. If we understand that, the, that Satan is in the world, he's trying to, to uh, uh, lead the world down a particular way, and we understand that, that Satan and God are at enmity one with another. They're, they're at odds. They're completely opposites. Uh, what God says is right, Satan says is wrong. What, what Satan says is right, God says is wrong. And, and so it should not shock us to understand that there is a difference between what God instructs Christians to do and what the world typically does and says is acceptable. Uh, which ought to help us to understand then that we need to come out from the world and be separate. We need to have a difference and a distinction between what they do and what we do. So I want us to look back through chapter 12 at several of the things. Uh, We may not cover all of them today for sake of time, but we're going to go through several of them today that Paul speaks of here that ought to be part of a Christian. And uh, we're going to begin with the first one found in verse number 21. And uh, it kind of ties in with uh, verse number 19, 20, and 21 kind of all go together. Verse 21 being the sum of it all. But he deals with the fact that if uh, if someone uh, treats us ill or wrong, and we consider here uh, in verse number 20, they consider it to be our enemy, if you will. Uh, and uh, he says this in verse 19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. That kind of goes contrary to modern thinking, doesn't it? Uh we used to. I used to joke around sometimes with uh, my siblings when they would pull a practical joke on me. I would say, "I don't get even; I get ahead." And that's kind of the philosophy of the world, isn't it? That if somebody does me wrong, I'm going to I'm going to make sure that I uh, avenge myself on them, and I'm going to make sure that I get my hunk of meat out of them, and I'm going to uh, I'm going to make them pay for what they have done for me. Paul says, "Not so." Uh, when things are 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 uh, against us, there is to be a, uh, a uh, giving it to God kind of an attitude of a Christian. Because what he says here in verse 19 is, Avenge not yourselves, but rather give place under wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. And so we're supposed to let God deal with the justice of the situation. We as God's people are to, uh, are to uh, be able to withstand those things and not react to them. Um, when he talks about this, Therefore, thine any hunger, feed him; uh, uh, hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. And I've heard some people say, Well, I'm going to be kind to my enemy because I really want to get him. Well, that's still with vengeance. We're talking here about the heart condition. We're talking here about the spirit. Uh, the quickest way to get rid of an enemy. You know how to get rid of an enemy really, really quick? Make him your friend. It's amazing how quickly you can do that. I, my kids growing up, and if, if they were here today, they would tell you, I, I would tell. You, there have been times that they've been bullied and people at uh, school haven't treated them right, or people in ministry haven't treated them right, or people in the world haven't treated them right. And there's times they've come home crying to mom or dad, and uh, boy, you won't believe what this person did to me, dad. You just don't understand they did this. And if I asked them in front of you all today what I would tell them to do, they would tell you this. Buy them a card and buy them a candy bar. Let them know that you're praying for them. And I don't know how many times I've taught my kids to do this. Now, they don't like it. They seethe when they have to do that. They're like, oh, Dad, you don't know what this person did. But it's amazing how many times they have taken people that were absolutely mean to them, uh, coarse to them, very unkind to them. It's amazing how many of them have become their friends. Simply because... They responded appropriately. When the world looks at you, do they see somebody that reacts? Or do they see someone that has the love of the Lord Jesus Christ in them? Now, I understand there is a time to be bold. There's a time to be uh, uncompromising in what we say. I think when it comes to false teachers, you must call them out. You must deal with those things. But we're not talking about those types of issues. We're not talking about doctrinal issues. We're talking about how someone's kindness or treatment of you is. And the Bible teaches us here that there needs to be a a kindness to our enemies. To be able to encourage and to do things to try to help them. Think about this, when the Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth, he was a holy and a just God, was he not? Mankind was a rebellious and a sinful man. When Christ came to this earth, mankind was technically his enemy. And yet He loved them. Not only did He love them, but He gave them one of the greatest gifts mankind's ever been given. He's given them forgiveness. He's given them His love. His care for them. And in doing so, He has gained folks that love Him back in return. There's a wonderful example to be given there in Scripture. And as Christians, when we live our lives, I've watched... uh, Christian folks that over the years have had tempers and, and anger issues with others that, that mistreat them, or even brothers and sisters in Christ that mistreat them. And, and I've heard several com- comments. Some of them say, well, you know, uh, I, I've just got that Irish blood in me. Well, Irish blood doesn't mean anything. That just means it's sinful blood just like anybody else's. When the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of you, the Bible says you're made a new creature anyway. doesn't matter what your heritage is, that's no excuse for it. Uh, it doesn't matter if, if uh, you were raised in an abusive home or, or your environment or your circumstances. God has a way of doing a transforming work in the heart of every Christian. And so when it comes to our living and living in the light of the world and the evilness of the world, there are some things that ought to set us apart and ought to make us distinct. One of them Paul deals with here is he quotes uh, other uh, uh, places uh, of Scripture when Jesus was teaching and said that we are to give our enemy uh, to eat. We're to give him to drink and to treat them with kindness and let God handle things. My dad had a, had a statement he used, and this is how he summarized this principle. He would tell me, I don't know how many times when I came to him upset at something that happened, and my dad would say, son, God keeps good records. It's a good thing to think about. I'll let God handle those things. I'll, deal, I'll let Him deal with those things. I'm not going to let it destroy my life. You know, it's amazing to me. Uh, I've watched sometimes people going down the road and uh, road rage happened. Any of y'all ever watch road rage? Any of you ever have road rage? Don't raise your hand. Uh, I, it's amazing to me. Somebody will cut, cut a person off. And they may have done it intentionally or they may not. They may have just done it by accident. Uh, and then I realized that they were there. It's amazing to see this person get red in the face and get angry and uh, and chase this person down and yell at them and lay on the horn at them and everything. And then the entire rest of the day, that person's day is ruined. They're thinking, man, that person cut me off. I wish I could just, you know, get them. And the person who cut them off, they're going through their day. They don't even realize that nothing and that anything's happened. And all it has done is served to ruin your day. God is teaching us some things here in Scripture that when it comes to the Christian life, there ought to be a distinction in how we respond to those that mistreat us, those that are our enemies. Notice what else it says here, verses number uh, 17 and 18. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth uh, in you, live peaceably with all men." The principle here is to take every attempt at being peaceable. There is a time to fight. There is a time to rise up. But after all other means have been exhausted, there's a way to reconcile the problem, then reconcile the problem. And again, there's a distinction here. That's not the way the world thinks. It's not the way that the world responds to things. Look with me, if you will, in verse number 16. We're going to go through a number of different subject matters Kind of from this point on, that one being kind of the biggest one of the chapter. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to the men of low estates. Be not wise in your own conceits. And all of these issues that are dealt with in verse 16 deal with the issue of pride. To not think of ourselves arrogantly or superior or better than anyone else. The truth is, every single one of us are sinners. Every single one of us have been saved by the grace of God. Has God given uh, more gifts to one than another? Perhaps. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're any better than anyone else. I'm reminded of the parable of the talents that God gave in Scripture. And how that some some people are given five talents and they produce five more. Some are given three and they produce three more. And the truth is, those that produce five and those that produce three are still given the same commendation by the Lord Jesus Christ. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. The standard of reward is not based on how much you do, but how faithful you are with what God has entrusted you with. When he speaks of this thing of being in the same mind one toward another, uh, if a brother is, is weaker or overtaken in a fault, then in humility I go to him and I try to help him. If somebody is stronger than me in the Christian life and is living a life that is closer to the Lord, then I look up to him and I'm not jealous of that. It's something that I look at and I say, I want to use that as an example in my life, to encourage me and strengthen me along the way. But to look down, and and there are so many times in the Christian life uh, and in churches that people get uh, 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 a superior mentality, if you will. I am this... Y'all are there, you haven't quite made it to where I'm at yet. Paul, who I believe is one of the great Christians of the Scriptures, he wrote more Scripture certainly than any other single human author. He said, not as though I had already attained. He understood at the end of of his ministry that he still was not all he should be. In fact, he even talked about the struggle, didn't he? He said, the things that I would, I don't, and the things that I know I shouldn't do, he said, I do those. And so much so that at the end of his life, he said, I am the chiefest of sinners. There's a a great example given in Paul of his view of others. Uh, We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Our biggest responsibility for each other is not to say I'm better or worse than them. But our biggest responsibility for one another is to pray and edify one another that we all grow together in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. There needs to be encouragement along the way. And it's amazing how many times just a simple word of encouragement, or I'm praying for you or I love you and I just want to let you know that somebody cares about you, makes a difference in the heart of another Christian that's discouraged. And so again, we find this is not something that the world is often doing but more something that Christ expects of those that are Christians. Notice in verse 15, he says, Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Being appropriate in our attitudes one with another. Um, somebody gets a brand new car, and you've been struggling with your little junk heap for the last 25 years, and it uh, goes through 25 quarts of oil a week, and uh, they get a brand new car, and you say, Lord, why them and not me? Rejoice with them that rejoice. Take joy in the fact that God's blessed them. Somebody goes through a trial. You don't sit back and say, well, they deserved it. Their life was this way. No, no, you weep with them. You come alongside of them. You share the burden. You share the sorrow. There needs to be a life that is spent being appropriate in our actions and our attitudes one toward another. Verse number 14. Bless them which persecute you and bless and curse not. That's hard to do. You ever, uh, you ever have somebody do you wrong and then you sit there and for an hour tell somebody how bad they did you wrong? I need to be careful how I say this. Even if someone has done me wrong, it does not give me the right to sit and be critical of them to someone else. God, God keeps good records. God will take care of those things. There surely is something good I can find to say about them. We need to be careful of this thing. I, we, we've we learned down south, at least, a way to get around this. And uh, that is, uh, we can say uh, to someone I love, or about someone, I love them, but... And then we go on to say what their faults are. And if we really want to do it, we'll say bless their heart at the end of it. And, you know, we would joke and laugh about that, but it's we really that really happens we think that we're just being informative to someone else and the truth is we're complaining to someone else about how somebody treated us we're not to we're not to we're not to curse them we're not to we're not to speak evil of them in fact paul tells us we're to bless them that persecute us bless and curse not verse number 13 distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality this is this is something that uh, I'm thankful. Our church has plenty of. But when I first moved up here, uh, I, I was from down south, and a number of years ago, I don't know if it's just because my mom and dad were this way. They were from Indiana originally. If you ever visit anybody in Indiana, even if they are a complete stranger, and you walk in their house, you know what the first thing they're going to do is, "Are you hungry? <laughs> you want a piece of pie? You want some coffee?" It's amazing. Everywhere you go in Indiana, first thing you ever hear from them. Are you hungry? And they'll usually call you son if you're a guy or a daughter or uh, or honey if you're a a girl. And they'll they'll be like, are you hungry, son? Are you hungry? I don't know how many times I walked into people's houses in Indiana when I was visiting family years ago. Didn't know them from anybody. One of the first things they do, are you hungry? Can I get you a piece of pie? You want something to eat? You want something to drink? They were given the hospitality. So Down south, when I was growing up in our church, our church had fellowship. I'm talking when we got done with church, people went over to other people's houses after church. Even after church at night, and they'd spend a couple hours sometimes talking and sharing uh, coffee and pie and different things. Hint, hint, Reese cup or pumpkin cheesecake is the best. Um, and there was a spirit of hospitality. When I first moved up here, <coughs> uh, uh, my wife and I at the time uh, that I had we, we we invited a bunch of folks over to our house, uh, some of the teachers and administration places and things like that. And the pastor came to me, he said, he came to me and said, "What are you doing?" And I said, "We're having some people over to the house. Well, what for?" I said, we're a fellowship. We just want to have time to, to hang out get to know them. and have, well, what are you going to do?" I said, "We're going to have food. We're going to talk." And that was just foreign to him I, I guess I don't know. it was weird. I would never been around anything like that. I just thought people did this. You just had people over to your house. A number of years ago, uh, I was listening to a fellow by the name of Mark Rasmussen. Uh, he had been one of my professors in college years ago at uh, Hiles Anderson College, and later on went to work at, at uh, Crown College in Powell, Tennessee. And One day he went out to work uh, for Paul Chapel out in, uh, in Lancaster, California, <clears throat> the first week he was there, he, uh, he uh, was given a, a, a card to go visit some people. And they had visited the church, I guess, a week or two before that. I think the week before that. He said it was about 45 minutes away. He and his partner went out and they went to visit this family. He said, very nice family. <clears throat> but they had come from a, a kind of seeker-friendly church, non-denominational type background. And had, were, were more along that line of, of thinking. And uh they had a great visit, he said. And when they were done, he said, I uh, put the results on the back of the, the visitation card. And he said, uh, great visit, not our kind of people. It's the exact wording he wrote on there. And he turned it in. That was on a Saturday. On Monday, Brother Chappell was walking down the sidewalk, and here comes Brother Mark. And now it's his first week on the job. you know, his first visit he'd ever made it. Brother Chappell said, Mark, I want to see you in my office in ten minutes. <laughs> Brother Mark's the one sharing this testimony, by the way. He said, I went to to Brother Chappell's uh, office, and he's holding this card in his hand. He said, Mark, I'm reading your comments here. Nice, good visit. Not our kind of people. He said, Mark, you do realize we're in Southern California. Nobody here is our kind of people, he said. Mark said, he handed me the card and said, go get them. And Mark said, I had been 20 some years in soul winning ministries at First Baptist of Hammond and Temple at Crown College. He said, I had taught soul winning. I had taught on praying. I had taught on serving the Lord. I had been a college, Christian college professor for a number of years. He said, for the first time in my life, I felt like a child in ministry. He said, I didn't know how to respond to that. He said, the only thing I could think to say in that moment was, how? How do I reach this family? He said, Brother Chapel," without even blinking an eye, said, Mark, have them over to your house for supper. He said, people need to know how much you care before they care how much you know. He said, you need to treat them like a friend. He looked at Mark. He said, what do you do with your friends? Mark said, I have them over for supper. They had that family over for supper. The wife ended up getting saved. The husband ended up rededicating his life to the Lord. They ended up joining the church and being faithful members of that church. Why? Because even though they weren't all that Mark thought they should be, he showed them some kindness. He didn't just say, well, they're they're false in their doctrine, they're wrong in their doctrine, and, and write them off. He reached out to them and tried to show them kindness and was able to reach them because of it. It's amazing how many times we mistreat people. And as a result, we do not see the fruit oftentimes that I believe God would want us to see. When you look at, when you look at how many times Christ in His earthly ministry dealt with people who had problems. Isn't it amazing how many times He addresses their physical needs before He addresses their spiritual needs? Time and time and time again He does. He shows them His compassion, His heart. And then He shares with them the truth. I think there's a great lesson to be learned from that. Uh, Notice He says also in uh, verse number uh, 12, He says, Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. We talked a little bit about that in the 11 o'clock service. Patient in tribulation. Continuing instant in prayer. These are these are separate issues, each of them, and things that ought to characterize our life. How, how instant are we in prayer? Uh, when people ask you, uh, I'll never forget when I was a teenager. I had people ask my dad, and sometimes they would ask me or our family, uh, "Would you pray for us?" I'll never forget working. I was working at Chick Fil A, and uh, I came in and I had a burden on my heart. And there was a young teenage girl. She was probably probably about five years younger than I was at the time. I was in my probably early to mid-20s. mid early 20s. She might have been 15, 16 years old at the, at the most, maybe 17. And uh, she went to another church there in town, and I, her name was uh, Christy. And I said, uh, she asked me how I was doing. I said, well, I said, I really got a burden on my heart today. And she said, well, what is it? And I told her, I said, I'd sure appreciate it if you'd pray, pray for it. She said, okay, let's pray. And immediately she bowed her head and prayed right there on the spot. That was foreign to me. I'd heard people ask me to pray for him. I'd heard people ask my dad to pray for him, and we would promise to pray for him. How quickly are we able to go into prayer and to, to seek for God's help on things? These things ought to characterize our life. These things ought to be something that, as, as a Christian, ought to be a fruit of what the Holy Spirit has done inside of us. Are we instant in prayer? Are we patient in tribulation? How about rejoicing in hope? I'm so tired of seeing Christians sit there with a frown on their face. We're saved. We're blood-bought. We're on our way to heaven. I understand there are valleys. I've been through some. You've been through some. But I'm so tired of Christians being in the molly grubs all the time. There's something to rejoice about. When I got saved, the Bible says He put a new song in my heart. There's something that didn't used to be there. There's something that when I wake up in the morning, I ought to be able to put a smile on my face and say, I'm thankful God has given me another day to serve Him. When we realize the great privilege that we've been given, not only to be saved, but to be used by God to serve Him. This idea of rejoicing in the hope that we have that God's given to us. Look in verse number 11 again, very practical things. Not slothful in business. Not slothful in business. Fervent in spirit serving their Lord. There ought to be a vibrancy about us in the Christian life. Not a lethargy. Not an apathy. But there ought to, if there's anybody around that, that ought to be looked up to and say, man, that person is just on fire. He's just constantly... Uh, something's going on in his life. It ought to be a Christian. It ought to be those that have been saved. We ought to be fervent in spirit. There ought to be a fervency about us. There ought to be a zeal in our life. There ought to be a brightness to our, our spirit. Uh, there ought to be a, a, a dedication for a hard work ethic, not slothful, not lazy, serving the Lord. Years ago, my sister loved cheerleading. And I remember as a teenager growing up, she was about uh, two years older than I was. And when she got old enough to start cheering, you had to be careful as you walked through the house. Or you might get a flying arm through the eye or you know, a kick uh, in the back or something. Because she was always going around doing her cheer motions through the house. That's what she did. And she ate, slept, and drank being a cheerleader. And when she went to college, she made the college cheer team and just loved it. Going to Pensacola Christian College, she made it on the cheer squad there. And uh, did. she ended up being uh, one of the co-captains, I think, and one of the things on that. And, and just loved cheerleading. And and one of the things that they taught, taught them there, they came up with a word. And the word was sparkle. And they said to the cheerleaders, you need to smile and sparkle all at the same time. And they called it smarkling. Uh, The the Bible uses a word that we get our word effervescent from. The idea that in a Christian's countenance, there ought to be a bubbling over there. There ought to be a joy. Years ago, we used to sing that little song, Running over, running over, my cup is full and running over. Since the Lord saved me, I'm as happy as can be. My cup is full and running over. I've seen Christians sing that with a frown on their face. Can you believe it? I've watched people talk about, oh, how I love Jesus, and they look like they were singing at a funeral. Uh, it's just amazing to me how we do not let the, the fact that Christ has saved us thrill our hearts, bring joy to us. The Holy Spirit working inside of me, and, and I'm not all I should be, but I'm thankful I'm not all I used to be, and I'm thankful He's still doing some things in me. I'm thankful that there's going to be one day I'll be better than I am today. I may have hair. I may be skinny. I may be athletic. But I hope and pray that I'm closer to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ in my spirit. There ought to be things we rejoice, we rejoice in. There, 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 <laughs> why in the world someone would want what so many Christians portray in their countenance is is something I don't understand. I've watched the services, church services, as the choir and the special music get up to sing. They sing songs and they sing it with a countenance that's just downcast. Sing victory in Jesus. Sing songs of deliverance and triumph and how God has saved them. And it looks like they're as miserable as as anybody can ever be. I understand the heart sometimes can be something inwardly that doesn't necessarily show up on the face. And I'm certainly not telling us to try to be be something outwardly that we're not inwardly. But if there's not a joy that overflows inside of us, at least from time to time, then we need to check some things in our life. Because I'm going to tell you right now, even though there are burdens in the Christian life, even though it is hard, and even though there are times of persecution, there is great joy in the Christian life. There's great satisfaction there. There's great peace there. Something to rejoice in. Notice he says in verse number 10, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. <laughs> uh, it's amazing sometimes uh, I'll, be, I'll be like uh, holding the door or I'll be in line or something. I'll be like, you go first. No, 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 you go first. Uh, there's there's a kindness there. And I think most of us have that down, pretty much. But uh, let's be kind in affection one to another. Uh, let's keep that in mind, that we need to do that. And then he says in verse number 9, he says, Let love be without dissimulation. Dissimulation is a big word. It just means, let's not be fake in our love. Uh, let's be genuine. You know what genuine love does? It seeks for the best in someone else's life. It seeks for the best in someone else's life. I want what's best for someone. That's how I express my love to them. I want what's best. It may mean sometimes I have to tell them the truth even if it hurts. Because I want what's best for them. It may mean that when they're weeping and under a burden, I need to come alongside them and put an arm around them and bear the burden with them. And while I may not have the means to solve it, I can certainly go to the Lord in prayer with them to have the heartache, to feel the pain and the sorrow of them. It may be that there needs to be an encouragement, just some edifying, some building up, some strengthening. Let love be without dissimulation. Then I would say this, uh, we're taught as Christians, and and you say, well, up until this point, uh, these are pretty well standard. We know this in the Christian life. But notice this one, he says, abhor that which is evil. We need to have a hatred for it. This is something that probably out of all these is the most lacking in our Christian in Christian lives that we live today. An absolute abhorring of that which is evil. Sin being sinful again. Detesting it, hating it, hating the garment that is spotted by the world. Not that we hate the person, and sometimes that's even in our in our own self examination, hating the sin that's in our life. Saying, Lord, I can't stand this. Give me victory on it. Help me with it. Keep me from it again. Abhorring that which is sinful. By the way, it will change a lot of things in the world that we live in today. Number one, it will change how we live. We will be separated from a world that is unholy, that is evil, that is wicked. We'll come out from among them. We won't participate in those things. I'll tell you this, it'll, it will change the way we vote. We just recently had uh, elections here, primaries. It will change the way we vote as we vote for candidates. And we understand there are some issues in each of them. All of them are imperfect. All of them have faults. But I want to make sure that I find the one that has the least of them. I want to find the one that is the least in contradiction with Scripture. It's going to make a big difference. Cleave to that which is good. Verse number 8, he says, uh, verse number uh, uh, 6, he says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given unto us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the portion of our faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, and he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Whatever it is that God has given you the talent and the ability to do, do it to the very best that you can. Do it to the very best that you can. Over and over again in chapter 12, Paul gives very, very practical things that ought characterize a Christian's life. These things ought to be the fruit of an inward change, transforming work of the Holy Spirit. Not things that we try to do out of duty or obligation. But something that becomes a natural outpouring of our walk with God. And I hope this will be a help to you. Let's go ahead and stand together. We'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, we do pray that You would take the the words that Paul spoke. And Lord, it's not my message today. It really is Paul's message. The message that you the Holy Spirit gave to him to pen, To teach us how we're to live. Lord, a lot of these things go contrary to what society does and what the common culture of our day does. Lord, may we as Christians hold fast.